from here and uh, got a good solid back row there, but we missed the block here. Must have all gone to children's church. Yeah, anyway, that's nothing. Yeah, well, good morning. If you don't know me, I am Paul. My name flies across the screen. And uh, yeah, I thought I don't like my name on the screen. That's just me. Part, part of me is uh, I want to be as hidden as possible unless God put me there. So <laughs> there you go. Anyway, welcome here. And we're looking at these, these uh, stories of these churches. Uh, uh, this one's on Pergamum, third way in. There we go, church in Pergamum. And I, I put a little title there, God disciplines those he loves. It was right in the middle there, wasn't it? This I have against you. Uh, I reckon every one of us, if we had to sit down with God, he, he would come along and say, I like some things about you, but this I have against you. Uh, I don't think anyone will pass until we get to heaven. That's not so much a naughtiness thing, can be, but, but it's more, how can we keep growing up? How can we keep going up? Well, I'm way off point already. Okay, way off point already, yeah, yeah. So I'm not digging in, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a temptation for me to talk about all the fascinating things about Pergamum, a fascinating city and a fascinating time and to see some of the correlations to other things, but I, I can't go there, haven't got time. And, and I want to just uh, pick up and start here this morning, going back to chapter one in Revelation, and, and it's talking about Jesus. And he's now walking through the churches and he's speaking to believers, early 90s AD. That's a long time ago. And uh, I've been to places in Europe, some of you have been as well, and seen some Roman ruins. We went into this building in a city called Tyria, T-R-I-E-R. It's on the, just across the border from Luxembourg going into Germany. Why I was there is I have a sister and a brother-in-law who live in Luxembourg. And they drive me all out, you know, we're visiting them, seeing this. There is a massive building, no, it's a big building, uh, bigger than this, but it's a church. But it was initially built by the Romans as the place where the emperor went to hold court when he was up in the northern part of the empire. I think that's intriguing. That's nearly 2,000 years old. Anyway, go and go there. Uh, so there's a lot of intriguing things, but what we're after is what's Jesus saying to his people? Because he was, and he is, and he will be. And as he walked amongst believers then, he walks amongst those who believe today. As he spoke out of his heart then, he speaks today. He hasn't got a different message he didn't have one message for believers in Pergamon in approximately 90 AD and one message for believers in Upper Heart in 2023. And so we're hearing what the Spirit is saying to the church. As we know, in time and space it was written to those people in that place and some of the pictures and the, you know, the way it's written uh, relate to that. But take a step back or a step forward or a step up and you realize it's the transcendent God speaking to all people in all time. And so when we hear the word of God, we are hearing what he's saying to us today. And it's to him who loves us. And for some reason, it's important to emphasize that he loves us. He loves us. To him who loves us. It's talking about Jesus Christ, the one who's going to speak these words. 
into Pergamum to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. He's loved us and he's done something for us that's amazing. He just didn't free me from my sins when he died on the cross. He did. He just didn't free me from the sins the first time I prayed for my heart to receive that freedom. He frees me from my sins today. And when I take communion, I'm not just remembering something that happened once in my life. I'm participating in it today. I'm receiving today the, the freedom from my sins. I'm remembering it, and sometimes there's a new sin to be freed from. And uh, as God continues to grow us up, and because sin is not just a doing of something that was bad, sometimes the sin is not doing something that God has said I should be doing. And sometimes sin is just being immature and, and looking to grow up to a little bit more trust in God. And he frees me from my sins. So do you know that he, he loves you? Do you know in the deepest part of who you are as a person that the uncreated God who has revealed himself in many ways and one of them is by coming in the flesh in Jesus Christ loves you. That he loves you. Do you know it? Do you know it? He loves you. He loves me. He's for me. He loves you. He loves you. And there's a but. And the but for me and you, for everyone, but we're the ones in the room, maybe someone's watching right now, you as well, is he defines his love. He sets the terms for what his love is. He's God. He says, this is what my love is. We don't. Most times if I hear someone or read something that is somehow saying, if God loves us, how come, or but, or why, and this and that, usually you can read into it, they have an idea of what love is. And right now God isn't it. And we're going to discover, if you haven't already, that he loves you. But he defines how he loves you. He sets the terms of what his love is coming to us. It's true love because it's true to who he is, not necessarily to who we are. And we don't redefine love to ourselves. He loves us. So I thought it would be good to look at a few scriptures 
just to, to settle here before we go on, because we're going to talk about, just briefly look at how, how love disciplines, we just have to know he loves us. He loves us. John 15, 9 to 13, so, so a bit of Bible study here uh, this morning. You can read it on the screen. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he, he's saying, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. So there's something in how God loves that needs to be reciprocated. And it needs to be received and passed on. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. I think if you, if you read the text, you notice, oh, so God never expects me to be able to love anybody until I know he loves me. I mean, I, I can love as people love. But I can't love as God loves. Until I know he loves me. And as I receive it, because it's his love, it then begins to become something that flows out of me to others. That's what you, as I received love, Jesus said, so I loved you. So something about the love of God is always working between people in relationships, isn't it? It's coming in, it's going out, it's functioning. Now remain in my love. That's probably... Your number one goal as a Christian, remain in his love. <laughs> remain in his love. Uh, if you keep my commands, oh, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. So, so God defines love. He sets the terms for love. And he says, my love has something to do with you remaining in my commands and, and fitting into a framework of life. Why? Because he's God. And he knows what love is. And he knows what love isn't. And so he gave us a few commands to show us how to remain in his love. Remain in his love. I'm not going there. But that's something to do with God's love, isn't it? If you go outside of his commands, he's saying you're not remaining in my love. So there's, there's, there's boundaries to this love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. So we're just having a quick look at God's love. So it has something to do with joy. He loves you. You'll know that you know that he loves you when there's some joy. And maybe you'll discover that joy in a hard, dark time. And it doesn't mean that's not a hard, dark time. It just means there's something else going on. That he loves me. He loves me. And his joy is in me knowing he loves me. And then he says, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. So there's something about God's love that comes into my life and goes out of my life. It's, it's what's God's love. Greater love, this is one of the challenging verses for you here, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. So we start discovering also that God's love is always about laying down life. Not clinging to life, laying down life. 
laying down life. There's a little mysterious story, not mysterious story, a little thing in the Old Testament that if you, if you sort of just looked at it across the surface would look a little bit um, mysterious. And, and it's why does Judah, the tribe Judah, through David become lifted up so high? So what was special about Judah, the son of Jacob? He wasn't the firstborn. He doesn't stand out hardly at all. You're, he was a ratbag, if you read the story of Judah. There is one part of Judah's story back in Genesis where he acted in a way and put himself in a place that, that, that looks like God. It looks like God's love. And that's when he's uh, going down to visit Joseph, and Joseph said, leave Benjamin the youngest son, who was called Benjamin because he's the beloved of father. And he said, we can't do that. We've got to take him home because his father will you know, really, really miss him. He says, take me instead. My life for his life. That's love. Doesn't matter how he felt about it. He might have been thinking, oh, I've got to do this thinking thing for my brother. Oh, I've got put in this position, oh, but I've got to do it. Got to honour the Father, and, that, and God says, that's it. That's covenantal love. And wherever there's covenantal love before peop between people, I reckon God comes down and blesses it, even if they don't have any idea who he is, because it's something of, that's how God loves. So we think, but God loves you. And he laid down his life for every one of us. What does God love? Just going on. Place me like a seal, he says in Song of Solomon. You know, many of you, this is a, like a love story, an encounter. And so it really does come to the heart of love. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. And we say that in the old marriage vows. Until death does us part. See, there's a love that's as strong as death. It binds me together until death. And sometimes it doesn't last till the death of the body because something else dies on the way. <laughs> Have you got to you know that he loves you with a love that's as strong as death? And that's what the cross of Jesus says. God demonstrates his love for us and that's a while still, we were still sinners. He died for us to strong as death. It's unyielding as the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. He loves us. He loves you like a blazing fire, a mighty flame. You can think of God in heaven thinking, oh, those people have got so far from me. They're so lost from me. Oh, where's my stick? I'm going to go and get to show them what else? That's not what you see in the scripture, is it? It's, it's how can I woo them back with love? How can I somehow woo them back with love? It's as strong as death, unyielding as the grave. It's like a mighty flame burning. He can't turn away. He can't turn away. He keeps working to, to reach people and rescue them and save them. But, but one of the strange things about love that we don't know is it never controls or manipulates. And so it invites and it woos, but it doesn't control or manipulate. And so if we reject the love of God, it's rejected. 
And no, no matter how much there is for us, it's rejected. It's like, oh yes, but God loves me, yeah, but you're not remaining in the love. You don't get the benefits of it if you don't remain in it. That makes sense, doesn't it? Here it is. Come in. Receive. Oh, I like it. I like the idea that God loves me, but I don't want to remain in this love and live by faith and trust him and, and, and walk with him like, you know, a husband and wife. It's like married, getting married, and his grace and I. And, and uh, you know, let's remain in our love. Oh, no, I want it, but actually I want the freedom. Not to live in the confines of marriage, but to live as if I was single and to have the marriage at the same time. Who knows, that doesn't work. And how many people tried that, tried that with God? Oh God, I want to receive your love, but I don't want to remain in it. <laughs> I want to live as if I'm an independent person who can do what I want and still be loved by you. And there's a love that, that's passion that goes after, but it won't control. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers sweep it, cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for it, love, would be utterly scorned. You can't pay for love, can you? You can't. There's no price you can put on love. But I thought about many waters cannot quench love. I've met a number of people who have been offended by church. And dumped God's love. Didn't take much to quench their love for God. I've met a number of Christians who felt like they've been disappointed by how they thought their Christian life was going to work out and took it out on God. Didn't take much to quench their love. If you've come to know that he loves you and something in you has responded to that, it'll be amazing how much junk can come. And that doesn't mean you just put up with stuff, but something in you can't turn away from God. Because of what people do. Because you know he loves you. And many waters cannot quench that love. And even when you disappoint yourself over and over again, you cannot turn away from love. When you know that he loves you. Do you know he loves you like that? As you just know there's no way you could turn away. You could disappoint yourself. Someone else can disappoint you. You can be dumped on. It's not nice. It shouldn't happen. But you know, but I can't turn away because he loves me. And he does. And he does. Well, one more verse. And I have completely uh, forgotten. Have you completely forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as a father and addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. That's not nice, eh? He loves you and he disciplines and rebukes. He disciplines and rebukes because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. Some verse in the Bible, I'm sure you'd like to just get that little black pen. And I got a psychology book when I was a year one student at Bible college, jumped to this thought, and uh, because I was Bible college in a fairly legalistic denomination, uh, and because this was a secular non, you know, it wasn't written for a Christian and university as a psychology book, it was just a, you know, 
first-year psychology book by any university, had gone through and blacked out some words and phrases that they thought were not quite acceptable for our tender eyes. <laughs> oh, censorship, eh? <laughs> I've experienced it and I'm still here. <laughs> and, uh, and I experienced it in the church and I'm still here. Anyway, I like the Bible. Well, endure hardship like, no, don't want that one, God. Uh, he disciplines me because he loves me. No, I don't want that one, God. No, I just want he loves me. Go and live as however you want. No, not there. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children for what children are not disciplined by their father. Are you getting it? He loves you. And he sets the terms for that love. So back, who are we up to here? Oh, back to uh, Pergamum. To the angel of the church of Pergamum right. And uh, as you know, or you may not know, Pergamon there was a city just up the road from Ephesus. That's it for me. Go Google it. I thought, oh, how much? No, people can Google too. And YouTube clip it. There's all sorts of really interesting information on Pergamon. Right. These are the words of him who has a sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live. You live where Satan has his throne. Did you notice in the last church we read about last week, Smyrna, that they lived where there was a synagogue of Satan? Oh, we can't get away from this bloke, can we? <laughs> Keep showing up. <laughs> you remain true to my name. Yes, that's what we want to hear. Thank you, God. You did not renounce your faith in me. Not even in the, in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. So Antipas had been, because he's now dead, uh, the leader of the church, the, and he had been appointed there by Apostle John himself. So history tells us and other sources, and, and so he's been saying that every now and then, the local government and people would decide that let's have a big celebration and, and they just seemed to have a problem with those who believed in Jesus Christ because they just wouldn't worship all their gods like they did. And uh, Antipas suffered. One, because of his faith. Second, because of the fickleness of people. I won't go there any further. So we've got two big thoughts. Well, there are two big thoughts I want to mention in those two, those, those two verses. One, Jesus is coming with a sharp two-edged sword. And, and you'd notice, and as we mentioned last week, the, the introductions to each of these letters bring a description of Jesus, which will also be mentioned in the description of Jesus in Revelation 1. And we know that a sharp two-edged sword in Jesus' mouth has, has some relationship. Well, it's very clear what it is because we're told it's the Word of God. Ephesians 6.12 the, the sword, which is the word of God. Hebrews 4.12, it's like the living word, the two-edged sword that divides between soul and spirit. Oh, there's a clue. God's word coming out of God comes into my life and it reveals what's just of my soul and what's of the spirit of God. What's of remaining in his love and what's not. And it can rebuke something while it also affirms something. 
and enables me to continue to grow up as a son of God. Now, I had this picture when I was thinking of this uh, the other morning, and, and it's like Jesus speaking, and out of his mouth comes this, this word, like a two-edged sword. And we're also told that his word is like light coming into our hearts in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. It's like his word shines into our hearts, bringing a revelation of Jesus Christ. In the midst, it says, if you go back to verse 4, where the devil has blinded us. Oh, he showed up again. <laughs> this evil one who blinds the minds of unbelievers. So we need to hear that. So this picture, his mouth speaks, and out of his mouth comes light. And uh, I was thinking, this light is so incredible. It's, it's just powerful and brilliant. And it's so incredible that all you want to do is run and hide. You ever been seen something looks like, oh, I want to see that. Oh, I don't. I know some of us uh, might not like standing on heights, been to places like the, I've been really fortunate in life. I've been to uh, both the Grand Canyon and Victoria Falls. And both of them, to me, are just like wow moments. Uh, like, you know, and both of them have got chasms that you look down in. Have you guys been to Victoria Falls? Up in, in Zimbabwe. And uh, it's just, you, go and, you want to go and look down, and there's an edge. And so I want to look. I want to see how grand it is. But I'm not sure <laughs> how close I want to get. Uh, that, that sort of thing. I want to come into that light, but I'm not sure. And uh, I, wondered, I, I wondered if that's why the Holy Spirit came. Because if we were just trying to cope with this word coming out of Jesus' mouth, you know, it's hard to get close, but the Holy Spirit comes and whispers the same word into your innermost place. Now, there's just a little bit of conjecture there, so just take that lightly. But we know Jesus spoke, let there be light, and there was light, and a son came into being. And Jesus spoke, let there be stars in the sky, and stars came into being. It's a pretty powerful word coming out of his mouth. Are we listening to what the Spirit is saying to his people, the churches? And he says, you're in this place where Satan has his throne. Now, that could be because Pergamum was a city with lots of big temples, they had a pretty big one to a guy called Zeus who was seen to be the head god of all the Greek gods. So maybe it was that, but I don't know. It, I think Satan's got a bigger throne than that, a different throne than that. I don't think he's locked into a physical time and place on this planet. Let's have a few thoughts on Satan's throne. So I'm going to flick over here, John 8:44. Jesus is speaking. He says, you belong to your father, the devil. You want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, and he is a liar and the father of lies. He's talking about this guy, Satan, the devil. He's also called a snake or a dragon. You know, most of the time when the Bible talks about a snake, it could be alluded to the devil. Oh, but once it was Jesus held up. Anyway, you just got to read the whole story. So we know Jesus is saying there is someone who is working through you who's a murderer and a liar. So he's talking about this, where Satan dwells. Where's his throne? It's something to do with it. lies. He goes on in uh, John 14, I will not say much more to you. He, 
For the prince of this world is coming. Where's Satan's throne? The prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. And if you're in Christ today, he has no hold over you. If you're in the love of God today, remaining in his love, he has no hold over you. He can chuck a stone, but he has no hold over you. He might shoot an arrow. You know, we've got to supposed to have a shield of faith to catch the arrows. And every now and then, faith may not work and it may bring a wound, but he has no hold over you. And those things can be dealt with. But he has no hold over all who are in Christ. So there's no fear here. There's no fear here. But I'm just giving you an idea. I want to come on an idea of maybe what he means when he says, you dwell where Satan's throne is. You live in, you know, and yeah, where he dwells. Another verse. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband to Christ so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. See the jealousy that we read about in Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 6? I'm jealous for you. You know, isn't it neat how you can read one part of the Bible and then read the other part? Oh, I'm reading the same story. Uh, the same picture's coming up again and again. I promised you to one husband to Christ so that I might present you as a pure virgin. You know, creating a picture of a husband getting married to a wife, you know, and this is their first time, as a picture of the believers coming together with Jesus. And he's jealous for us because he loves us. And he's jealous that our life isn't wasted on something else. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may be somehow led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Jesus. How is Eve, you know, is this Genesis 3? So you're reading Corinthians and, well, Genesis 3, just being pulled all the way in to the gospel story in Genesis and Corinthians. So anyway, the whole Bible speaks as we already said. How did Eve get led astray from her sincere and pure devotion to Jesus, to God, to his love for her? Well, just, just three thoughts. She started paying more attention to what she saw in front of her than to the word of God that was in her heart. God had said to her some things, but she saw something that looked good. There's a clue there to how the devil leads people astray. He tempts us to pay more attention to what we can see than what God is speaking that we hear in our hearts. So she began to turn. She started to listen to what came out of the creation over and above what she had heard from the Creator. I hope you hear something there. This is how the devil works. 
play off what God has said against what you think creation is saying. That's why the Bible says you cannot love the world and love the Father. If you love the Father, you will have a love for the world, but you can't play them off against each other. You can't follow the Creator and follow the creation. If you follow the Creator, you can participate in the creation. But there's a clear order here. He loves us. And he doesn't want to share that love relationship with any other. That's how Satan works. He'll be working right now in all our lives in some way, with some degree of subtlety, and sometimes quite bluntly, to get our attention away from the word God has spoken to us in our heart, and maybe wants to speak if we were listening more, to something we see something that's coming into our vision, our, our way of feeling through that. He'll want to start, start listening to what's happening to, around us in the created world, which includes societies and peoples and cultures, and putting more weight on that than on what we hear coming from the uncreated God who created the heavens and the earth. And then lastly, the temptation there, the third thing was, the temptation was to have more faith in yourself than in the Spirit of God in you. What do I mean by that? Well, there's a tree of knowledge of good and evil. Eve, you can become like a God through your knowledge of good and evil rather than just relying on being like a God because the Holy Spirit has breathed God-likeness into you. And he does the same today. Come on, trust me, not your flesh. No, no, God says, trust me, not your flesh. And the devil says, trust your flesh, not the Spirit. So we say that this, he's led astray. This is what he's doing. And what is it all from? A sincere and pure devotion to Jesus. What's a sincere and pure devotion to Jesus? It's just one thing. It's like I've just got one wife, not two. You've, some of you are married woman, you only got one husband, not two. A sincere and pure devotion means it's singular. Pure is one thing. I've come to that conclusion now. Pure, pure, pure. What's pure? I've got to go. Blessed are the pure in heart. Well, if it's pure, there's only one thing there. It's pure water. What's in the water? Nothing but water. Nothing to do with performance, is it? It's to do with what's the state of my heart? What's it devoted to? What's it trust in? Is it just one thing or is it Many things. Better moving on, because we've got a ways to go, and we need to, oh, we need to finish. We're not going to go any much further. Uh, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. So he's talking to people like Eve, who've been led astray. This is, this is where Satan dwells, is where we're heading here. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. John 14, 30, the prince of this world is coming. There is a spiritual um, tension in this world. 
and it will always have a degree of mystery to us. And it's before, during, and after all our created life. Just read those words with me a bit more. Prince of that, the Spirit, this Prince of the power of the air, the Spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience. All those like Eve. Among whom we, oh no. That's another one of those black mark lines, isn't it? Oh no, and one, among whom you all, that's a better way to put it. That's how I'm going to read it from now. You all. No, no. It says we all. Is he saying that there's no one who's excluded from having been influenced? By this, this evil one, this prince of this world, where Satan thrones, Satan's throne, where Satan lives. Among whom we all once lived. Reading on, look, notice this clearly. Through the passions of our flesh, what was Eve doing? The passion of her flesh over the word of God. The drawing of her eyes over the word of God. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. What happened to Eve? It looked good. I think I'd like that knowledge of good and evil. It looked good. A desire arose. Then you followed a desire. And now you've got two loves going on. I do like the fact that God loves me, but I want to love him and. Coming out the desires of the body and mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So my, my statement there, which, you know, it's up, up a bit of debate, but I, I think we could say Satan rules and dwells. He says on Pergamum, I know you live where Satan's throne is and where he dwells. So that's why I put those two words there. <coughs> uh, where people follow the passions and desires of their bodies and minds as their truth. I hope I made a good case. Because if we, <coughs> we're stuck for time today, I was, but uh, I'm going to wind up in a moment. What did Jesus come to do? Revelation 1.5. You always want to put Revelation 1.5 back up because we're going to finish here. He loves us. And he came to free us from our sins by his blood. The purpose of Jesus is to free us from this world where Satan rules. Is to restore us to the world of God where Satan does not rule. So if you like me have chosen to put your faith in Jesus, to respond to his, his love. He loves you. And his love is in, a, in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you receive this freedom from the prince of this world, from this world where Satan rules. The freedom 
from living, following my own passions and desires of my body and mind. The forgiveness of that, but also the freedom of that. We've come into the love of God. And one of the deeply challenging things, I think, for Christians in this day and age, we live in, in our particular society or our cultural moment, is the, is, the new cool, is the cool phrase. I like it. Just to remember, we don't follow our own passions and desires. What does that mean with them, Paul? They're so important. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. One verse, Psalm 37. Oh, I can't remember. Maybe verse 12, maybe verse 7. Anyway, it goes like this. Those who delight, to those who delight in the Lord, he gives the desires of their hearts. Though, to those who delight in the Lord, he gives the desires of their hearts. To those who delight in the love of God for them, he gives the desires of their hearts. What are you following there? What's leading you? What are you holding on to? What's the trust in? Those who delight in the Lord, he gives the desires of their hearts. See, there's no following your desires in that story. There's no I must have it, no. And the challenge for us, do we trust God's love enough? To trust him with all our desires and passions. Now then, to put him in the ground, like the picture of the seed going down in the ground and dying, the picture of the cross, the picture of he loves us and freed us from his by his blood, to put him in that blood on the ground. See, what you know is, if God had meant that to be part of your life, it cannot be killed. It will rise up again. It will come at the time it's meant to come. It will be part of life. But if it wasn't, it might not. Man, that's the challenge. I'm going to pray. I'm going to finish. Uh, Miriam, you want to come on up, get yourself sorted? Yeah. We'll be in Pergamon next week. Uh, we've got to talk about Baal and Balaam. Uh, yeah. But time's done. Father God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you love us. Your love is proven. It is established. It is, it is set. And we can come in that your invitation is open. Thank you, Lord, you can come and, and you free us from the bondage and the slavery to trying to fulfill our own passions and desires, the good ones, the ideal ones, the religious ones, the super good ones, 
and the not-so-good ones. Father, forgive us when sometimes our zeal for you has had us chasing passions and desires that we thought were from you more than you, you who you are, more than just coming into your love and remaining in your love. Father, forgive us for being uh, times more like Martha, anxious about many things. Good things, godly things, when you're just calling us to sit, to sit and listen with you. Thank you for the freedom we have to come into your presence and sit down. To sit down, to sit down and rest. To trust you with everything else. Mm, thank you that you love us this morning. You love us, and you're inviting us to come into your love and just rest there. But let it be so, in Jesus' name. Mm. Amen.